welcome to a very special bonus episode of The Map of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. The week before last, I spoke to Chris Sims as part of the launch of The Math of You Returns. And Chris being Chris, we just could not keep it anywhere near our normal running time. And so we had a whole bunch of extra stuff that I had to cut from the episode for time reasons, but was too good just to leave on the cutting room floor. So join us as we discuss how Final Crisis is both really weird and also pretty damn good, about the advent of American Foreign Heels in NJPW, and we take a long segue into the phenomenon that is Brody Quest. And just before we get started, there's something I have to say. Cut the music. I am recording this one day after the one-year anniversary of the launch of the very first episode of The Math of You. And as you can hear, Hero is here too. (laughs) Chill, dude. It's okay. When I started the show, I had hoped that it would go well. I had no idea how well it would go. It's been a fantastic success all the way through. I've met some amazing people. And most tellingly, I've got to see some amazing people meet one another. Nothing makes me feel better than seeing on Twitter a longtime listener and a former guest have become friends. Thank you very much to everyone who's ever been a guest on the show, anyone who's ever listened or tweeted about it or told a friend. You're all aces in my book. And put it this way, when I started recording this show, I didn't even know I was going to be a dad. And here I sit holding my seven-week-old baby in my lap as I record and hoping he stays quiet. Just thanks, everybody. We join this conversation already in progress. Zencaster has a soundboard, so I've got like all the cool Sailor Moon sounds that I use <laughs> are mixed in here. And I also like, do you listen to the best show, Lucas? I can't remember if we've talked about it. The best show? You mean is that the Grimes Two one? It's the Tom Sharpling show. Oh no, I don't. I probably should. He does a bit where people will call up, and if they are bad callers, he plays the song "Bad Company." <laughs> softly and they can't hear it and then he hangs up on them when the drop kicks in so I, just, I, I have this in the soundboard in case I ever need it it's like just to Bad company, I, I haven't decided how or if I will ever use it but uh, maybe when we get like a bad character in panel president or a bad book in every story ever I can drop that on him it's like off you go my dad has that record and used to play it, and then bought it on tape so he could play it in his truck. And so the first time I heard you mention Bad Company on whatever podcast it was, I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, you got it. You got you got Bad Company. It's, a, it's an excellent bit on the best show. Because like, people will just be telling the most boring stories, and you'll hear that dun, 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 like start yeah, up in coming. the background. It's beautiful. It's a brilliant bit. Also, it's the drop is one minute into the song. So occasionally they'll start to stall out and, and there has to be like something to keep them going to make the bit work. It's very good. 
It's very, very good. It's like, well, we got to stand. Or maybe you should. There are also times when people who are regular listeners call up and they can see it coming. Yeah. Like they'll realize they've been talking uninterrupted for about 40 seconds. He'll be like, wait, am I about to get bad company? <laughs> and he'll like, like, the music suddenly stops. He's like, no, 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 go on, please. It's one of those, uh, yes, step a little to your left to where the trap door is. <laughs> yeah, it's the perfect apotheosis of having an adversarial audience. <laughs> I have heard one podcast that I listened to where they had a thing, uh, an actual game, where they'd have someone call in and tell a story, and they'd all sit there with their thumbs sort of at median, and if the story was good, the thumbs would go up, and if the story was bad, the thumbs would go down. And then if you were done, if you got more than one thumbs down from the three hosts, they would play you the Brody Quest music and kick you off the Skype. Uh, the, the... Do you know of Brody Quest? No, I don't. Okay. All right. I am going to find this and send it to you. It's okay. one of those, I wouldn't call it a prehistoric meme, but oh Jesus, it is in fact going to drop you a Brody Quest link in the chat. I just realized this meme is seven years old, okay. which is frankly prehistoric in internet terms. Okay, let's let's watch this. Let's watch this YouTube video together. This is good audio. Yay. I'm at the point where I didn't even need to watch it because I knew what <laughs> Oh, this is a this is a Neil Cesarija thing. <laughs> this is good. This is very good. <laughs> and like all true good good memes, it's one of those ones where if you're watching it with someone in person, you have to be the person to go, no no no, wait. Just wait. Just wait till the break to change. That's all anyone wants to do when they're sitting next to your computer. Oh, I love these these church bells. Oh yes. Good church bells. <laughs> I love a church bell in music. I, I love that I love that big Christmassy. I'm really hanging in there for these four minutes. <laughs> oh. Oh, he's got his guitar. He's got his guitar, Lucas. Because he went through the sun. That's what happens. Do you, have any, do you own any star-shaped sunglasses? I wish I did. I have, I have some Kanye kind of shutter-shaped sunglasses, but I don't have any star I have a pair of sunglasses that have a, uh, they're like, like, they've, they don't have lenses, they've just got like, they're like a little mesh of plastic with like mm. tiny holes. And they've got the, oh, there it is. It really, really had a turn three minutes in. <laughs> Don't worry, it ends on some Grant Morrison shit. This is actually a, this is a dope song. 
good. That was that was very good. <laughs> and now we are all Brody. Can I ask you a question, Lucas? Yes. Have you ever seen the movie Predators? Yes. I, yes, I have. You know that part when Adrian Brody takes off his, like, flak jacket or whatever it is that he's wearing and reveals that he is, like, literally as ripped as Arnold Schwarzenegger was in the original Predator? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say he would be. It's a, a smaller version, but he's equally as, as ripped. <laughs> he's so ripped! It's ridiculous! It's one of those things where it's like he's taking up the same amount of space as he normally would, but has replaced every aspect of himself with muscle. Yes, yes, very much. It's like there used to be those like razor commercials. Mm -hmm. I I think they were for razors. It was like a couple of style icons. And the style icons in question were Mm -hmm. Adrian Brody and Andre 3000. (laughs) Okay. I remember, like, seeing that and being like, is Adrian Brody a style icon, like, on the level of Andre 3000? Like, I guess, maybe. Like, I was kind of, like, I had to kind of come to the realization that maybe he is. It was weird. It was a weird place to be. (laughs) Faith in the world was, it really went down at that moment. It was shaking. (laughs) Sometimes you don't know as much as you think you do. What's funny is that your Zencaster decided to extend and auto-tune out, as you said, is Adrian Brody. So it went, Brody, that style icon. It's a weird place to be. And I went, no, it's equally valid reading of that conversation. Yeah, Zencaster's going through a little bit of trouble these days. Speaking of the end of Brody Quest, where Adrian Brody becomes a sentient virus and takes over everyone in the universe. Hey, uh, right. I actually sat down to read Final Crisis last night, thanks to you. Yeah. I had not done so in the past because I found it incredibly intimidating as a non-DC person. And yeah, you guys weren't kidding. That's nuts. Yeah, I mean, like, people love to people love to talk a bunch of, bunch of yay about Final Crisis. I, I feel like it's a far more straightforward story than everyone says. It's it just... Got a bunch of, like, comic book stuff going on in it. And people people went into that being like, well, this is going to be weird. And it's like, is it really weirder than a Secret Wars? Is it really weirder than fucking Trinity War, for God's sake? I don't know. I get defensive about it, Lucas. <laughs> I don't know, like, did you find parts of it to be challenging? Did you find it difficult? Uh, impenetrable? Yeah. But here's the thing. I feel that way with a lot of Grant Morrison stories. And I mean, honestly, I feel that way with even with stuff I love, like Terry Pratchett. And I do, I like Grant Morrison a lot. There are certain points where I can look at what's going on in the page and accept that I'm not going to understand it and kind of let it coast over me. And then I can pick it back up at a certain point. Like the minute it went to the monitors. And actually, I'm going to clarify a little bit. It's the same way I felt when reading Morrison's Batman and Robin for the first time. Mm -hmm. I didn't know which of the references were meant to be something that I didn't get, that nobody would get, that were meant to be mysteries, or which the references were references that I was just not understanding, you know? So, talk about, did it lose you when it went to the Orrery of Worlds, and you saw Dax Novu, a.k.a. Mandrak the Dark Monitor? Yeah, that one. problem? No fucking idea who that was. (laughs) Dax Novu, he's Mandrak the Dark Monitor, he's a vampire, lives outside of space and time in the bleed. Like, I don't, like... (laughs) I honestly don't feel like Final Crisis is incomprehensible. I feel like it's weird, but I don't feel like it's weirder than... I mean, I'm looking at it over on my shelf, like... I mean, well, it's right next to Doom Patrol. 
So that's a problem. Yeah. Doom Patrol I actually felt was a little more inviting because at least I remember looking at that and going, okay, nobody knows what's going on. This is issue two, and this is not a reference to anything. This is just weird stuff happening. Here's what's right next to each other on my shelf of DC books mm -hmm. because I've gotten like a lot of stuff digitally. So this is what the collection is paired down to. Mm -hmm. Doom Patrol, Final Crisis, The Adam Warren Gen 13, Invasion, and then Showcase Presents Metamorpho. I feel like all of those are equally weird. <laughs> <laughs> I still need to read Invasion. I heard you guys mention it, and uh, it's actually kind of cheap. It's good. It's one of those ones where if you buy the individual issues, it's like $5 more expensive on Comixology, but then I always look and I go, oh, would I be losing something if I bought the collected? The last time that happened was with The Pulse, and I'm like, no, I will buy every issue. I don't want to lose that one with Hawkeye on the cover. A pro tip, I should have lost that one with Hawkeye on the cover. Probably should have lost that one with Hawkeye on the cover. That was the House of M tie-in that had nothing to do with the rest of the story. Yeah. Um, but with Final Crisis, I mean, you guys never meant, like, I know you guys love your taglines and stuff, like your your uh -huh. World Heavyweight Championship, but warn everyone like Paul Revere, tell them Mandrake is coming, I'll do what I can to plug the hole in forever. Yeah, what's, the, what's like, what, what is, what do you not get out of that? That's awesome. Yeah. Like, or from a direction that has no name comes a sound like breathing. It's like, oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's just, like, cool stuff. Like, I went and got it from the shelf. I'm sitting here now holding yep. it. Yeah. Like, I'm inside a self-assembling hyperstory, and it's trying its best to destroy me. As Mandrax screams come closer, there's poison in my eyes. Yeah, this is good stuff, man. Like, all of Superman Beyond is tight. Oh, yeah. Superman Beyond was actually my favorite bit. Like, when you get to that, that big spread that was clearly meant to be in 3D, but was not in my trade that I got from the library. I have proof here in this book. Evil triumphs, Superman, and there's nothing you can do about it. Evil wins in the end. <laughs> Sounds like a challenge to me, Ultraman. Oh, this is, yeah, this is so fucking good. Speaking of which, I put it on Twitter, but it's like, if the World Heavyweight Championship was still open, because I, th I told you, I actually spent the pre-labor period in the hospital reading the first two volumes of Transformers vs. G.I. Joe by Tom Scioli. Yeah. One, it's awesome in a completely different way than most of the Transformers comics that I read, and I realize now that, like, every time I opened it in a comic book shop and went, ah, oh, this is probably not for me, I like Transformers comics different, and I was wrong then. Because it's awesome. Yeah, you were wrong. Yeah. You were wrong. I accept that. There were two lines where I just read them and I'm like, did Tom write this for Chris and Matt? Because my friends, my friends, sir, call me Talkie. My name in my own tongue translates as Tawny. Don't let my cultured tones deceive you. Tawny bites. <laughs> it was Orion's destiny to fall in final battle. Splintered like light through a prism in an infinite number of deaths. And on the way, he wounded you beyond repair, didn't he? A rotten carcass of a god crawling into the sewer to die. I made a very solemn vow about firearms, but for you, I'm making a once-in-a-lifetime exception. A gun <laughs> and a bullet, Darkseid. It was your idea. <laughs> Radeon, toxic to your kind. I sealed the bullet that f killed Orion in my belt for inspection. But do I make myself clear? Little man, can you outrace the Omega Sanction? The death that is life? Try me. <laughs> yeah, um, Final Crisis fucking rules. <laughs> You're using us to believe you into existence. <laughs> the Transformers one I was looking for, I found it. it. There were two where I swear Tom was writing them just for you guys. And it was, Lin Chi said it best. If you meet Space Buddha, kill Space Buddha. <laughs> there was that, and there was, I offered you peace, and you ran me over with your car. Yeah, that shit's good. Have you read yeah. the, the movie special? 
Not yet, no, no. I, I got the first two on a comicsology sale, and I have to get through a few more things before I get to that. Well, read the whole series before you read the movie special, because the movie special's fucking bananas. Yeah, you were, you were telling me the, the first time we talked, and I was actually talking to, um, to Ted Brandt about it, and he hadn't heard of it, and I'm like, he's talking about compression and storytelling, and I'm like, just, just go. I just kind of pointed in the general direction and gave that elevator pitch of it's the movie adaptation of a movie that didn't exist. <laughs> it's the comics adaptation of a movie adaptation of a comic, except the middle part doesn't exist. It's brilliant. <laughs> comics are ridiculous. Comics are great. Oh, God. Fucking... Darkseid always hated music, man. <laughs> Singing the universal note. It's funny, like, because I heard you mention your library on Ajax, and I felt like you had been, like, looking over my shoulder and reading my paper, because with all the various, like, appointments and stuff we've had to go to with the baby, I had finally registered to my local library, like, a week and a half before you posted that episode, because a friend of mine, who is a, a Malaysian lady in her mid-50s with two kids who will, like, turn up at our house with, like, bread, and, hi, I had some extra fleece, so I made you guys some blankets. Like, that kind of friend. <laughs> like, oh, I was tempering some chocolate and putting Kit Kat wafers in it into the shape of, like, Willy Wonka golden tickets, and I had too much, so I've, I've left some on your porch. If you're back in the next half hour, it's fine. And it's like, cool, <laughs> cool, thanks, Celia. What she did is that she found that if she joins that library, she gets, I think it's the Iverse comic reader app, and she gets, like, all of Archie. And she's like, so I've just mm -hmm. been sitting here and reading all of Archie. You should check it out. And so I went down, and they have the first four volumes of Pluto, so that is next on my list after I finish my crisis. Uh, Pluto is dope. Pluto is amazing. Isn't it in, like, the top ten on Every Story Ever? It's, like, number three on mm -hmm. Every Story Ever. It like, Because it, it's higher than Watchmen. I know for a long time Watchmen was number three. I'm still unsure about where we should have put Watchmen on the list. But, like, I do think it is a extremely well-crafted comic. The last 21 years, or 31 years, like, don't change the fact that it is, in fact, really good. But, you know, I feel like it might be too high on the list. Yeah, it's number three on the list. Number four on the list is uh, The Coming of Galactus, The Stan Lee Jack Kirby story, and then Watchmen <laughs> is five, right above The Great Outdoor Fight. So, it's a weird-ass top ten, I gotta say that. It is, and frankly, if you don't know Akewood, that Great Outdoor Fight comes as like a big question mark if you're just looking at it from the outside. Uh, and then you go and read the Great Outdoor Fight. Yeah, well, well it's really good, and That's it's free. Really you should yeah. read it. Yeah. <laughs> I have. And uh, there was a long and complicated bit like in the offcuts of greatest podcast in the history of our sport where we decided that if the Great Outdoor Fight was real, Meng from WCW would be the winner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a, you know what? That's a solid choice. You drop him out of a plane like the Incredible Hulk, and he'd land in the middle, and then everyone would die. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Just tearing dudes' faces off, <laughs> popping dudes' teeth out, and grabbing onto dudes' eyes. Yeah, the end of that conversation went, Meng is the reason why you're not allowed to walk through a drive-thru. <laughs> oh, he's very good. He's very good. I love Meng stories. <laughs> I wish there were more. I also was, like, I saw Meng live. Like, he was at King of Trios. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think it was 2012. I think it was, like, 2014. I think, because it was the Faces of Pain. It was Meng, the Barbarian, and the Warlord. Ah, oh, nice. And I really, like, and, and, like, look, Meng's old now, obviously. He was wrestling in sweatpants and, uh, and Reeboks. <laughs> but, like, I still wish he would have, I wish they would have gotten further than they did. Mm -hmm. I wish Meng would have thrown Matt Jackson into the rafters. Because they ended up losing, I think, to the ROH team, which was the Young Bucks and Mike Bennett. But yeah, Meng, what yeah. a guy. Meng, who turned up to the Royal Rumble one year. Because I think, like, headcanon for it was that he was just backstage saying hi to someone, wandered through the wrong curtain, and went, oh, fuck it, I'll go with it. And Jim Ross was like, that's Haku! 
<laughs> that that's Haku, former King of the Ring Haku. I think that was the same night that Taz debuted. Uh, King Haku. There was a House of Hardcore show about a month and a half ago here in Sydney, and the Young Bucks came, and I was very very excited. And there were also people like you know Jack Swagger was there, and uh, MVP was there, and Colt Cabana, and but the main event was the Young Bucks versus Tommy Dreamer and Billy Gunn, the Old Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, that's a good name for them. And then they pointed out that Tommy Dreamer is like 10 years younger than Billy Gunn. Wow. And then you look between them and you go, holy crap, it ain't the years, it's the mileage, right? You said, come on, former King of the Ring, Billy Gunn? Yeah, the one Billy Gunn. Come on, the one Billy Gunn? Yeah. <laughs> and it was one of those things where I'm like, I was sitting in, in my folding chair and I'm like, if he doesn't come out to DJ Khaled's I'm the one, they've missed a trick here. <laughs> instead, he came out to his I'm an ass man song. That's maybe like top two worst intro songs ever. It's up there with that Scott Steiner one where it's just a siren for the entire thing. You never wanted to have Scott Steiner enter your Royal Rumble on SmackDown versus Raw because it would just be like just this ear splitting police siren for a good 15 seconds. Yeah. And I realized as I was listening to the Attitude Era podcast, I had this irrational hatred of rights to censor. And that was because, again, they had a really annoying intro in, in I think it was SmackDown 2, Know Your Role, mm -hmm. where it was just, yeah, it was just that siren and it would last forever. And you're like, please, please. You got work, bro. They were meant to be terrible. You were meant to hate them. <laughs> Like yeah. You were meant to not want to see them, which, you know, is a tough one to get into. That's a tough line to walk for a pro wrestler. So I'm just watching a bunch of Meng GIFs right now. <laughs> oh, speaking of pro wrestling, I may have taken a step towards getting your co-host, Allison Stock, into wrestling. I sent her a GIF of Kenny Omega and said he's basically a wrestling anime villain, and then sent her the Omega Okada match, the first one. That, look, that would be great if Ali decides to, to get into, like, if Ali gets a New Japan World subscription, that'll be very delightful. I think she'd dig it. I think his New Japan is surprisingly, like, new watcher friendly. Like, it's really easy to tell who the good guy is and the bad guy is in most New Japan matches. Even if you do the sensible thing and just leave the Japanese commentary on, you know, you know who people are because they spray paint their names on fur coats. Yes. Like the ticking time bomb. Yes. Ah, I love that guy. <laughs> or it's like, you know, there's one guy who's just Marty McFly. It's like, that happens. My favorite thing in New Japan is when Western wrestlers will cut promos in English, but they'll try to keep them very simple so that people who do not speak English in the crowd can understand. And Kenny Omega did one of those, like when he made his debut. And he was like, I fooled you all. <laughs> You all thought I wanted to come to New Japan and wear the lion mark. I didn't want to wear the lion mark. I just wanted your money. And it makes like the money fingers. Just brilliant. Oh, it's excellent. Excellent. And like my favorite, my all-time favorite AJ Styles promo, which admittedly, there's not a long list. But my favorite AJ Styles promo of all time is when they're doing, like, the hyping up AJ Styles versus Okada 2, I think. And he's like, AJ Styles is the number one wrestler. I won the championship. Okada, he has no championship. All he has is fake money. <laughs> and I'm like, brilliant, brilliant. This is excellent. Very simple. This Very is simple like video terms. game cutscene promo. But it works. Yeah. No, it's, it, it works perfectly because that's all you need. I still say it, it's the ultimate heel thing for Kenny Omega where it's like, oh, the dude speaks fluent Japanese. But the minute he became a heel, <laughs> it's like, no, no, I will speak English in my promos. 
Because that's what heels do. That's what heels do. I kind of love, like, the Bullet Club is fascinating to me because I hate evil foreigner factions, but I'm fascinated when the evil foreigner faction is white people, like Americans and Canadians. We never get to see it. We never get to see other than, like, Canadians, who, of course, say, we all have a deep and abiding hatred for. There were those, the un-Americans, where Test and Christian and Lance Storm and William Regal would come out with an upside-down American flag. Oh, boy, that was bad stuff. But you never get to see American guys as the evil for I mean, kayfabe American guys. Like, you see American guys as evil foreigners all the time, Fritz von Eric. <laughs> but you never get to see them as evil foreigners and see how that, the interesting way that that plays out when it's you. <laughs> I'm going to steal a, t- a trick off Sailor Business and just be like, oh, if you want to know a lot about wh- where Chris grew up and stuff, you can go listen to the previous episode, which was very nearly the longest episode that I've ever had. I think you got pipped by about two minutes by one guy. Who? Who was it? (laughs) It was my friend David, who was actually here in the room, and so we got going. He's also the guy who completely broke my levels, because Dave's incredibly enthusiastic, and Dave is also an incredibly infectious, like, enthusiastic dude. And I mentioned Hey Now Now by Squirrel360, and he screamed so (laughs) loud that the level just became a solid block on my recording. (laughs) And he just started begging. I'm infectious. I'm, I'm extremely infectious. You are, actually, and that's part of the reason why, because the thing is, the back matter on your episode came out at, like, 30 minutes, and I was like, fuck it, we're leaving it in. This is all gold. Goddamn right it is. 